In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. We all, every year, I get such a kick out of singing that hymn with you guys. It's one of my treats on All Saints Day. So much good stuff in that hymn. First, you know, summer soldiers, summer queens, summer shepherdesses on the green. Who says the Episcopal Church is not relevant? <laughs> and then that great bit about some the priests, some were slain by a fierce wild beast. I know which one I want to be, all right? And those things are dangerously close together. And then the last bit, you can meet them in homes or in shops or at tea. What kind of fantasy novel are we living in? I love it. Today is All Saints Day. It's where we sing those two great hymns that we sang today. And I want to tag All Saints Day this morning by saying, On All Saints Day, and therefore every day, the dead speak. The dead speak. Do you remember that great scene from the Dead Poet Society when the class first meets Mr. Keating, and he leads them out of the classroom, and they go out into the hall, and there's like that hall in every school where it has like the, ca the glass cabinets, and it has the trophies, but all the pictures of the old classes going down since the founding of the school. And he has them out there, and he has them read from that classic poem, Gather Ye Rosebuds While Ye May. There's a sneaky little amazing comedic moment in there. He reads in front of his classroom, which looked like, you know, 15, 16-year-old boys. He says, gather ye, he says, uh, um, oh, no, sorry, I said the wrong thing. He reads the, the title of the poem, which is, to the virgins to make much of time. And then he, pause, he pauses and says, appropriate, huh? <laughs> it's one of the funniest moments in the whole, in the whole movie. I missed it before. But he says the, the, the first line of that famous poem, you remember it from high school. Gather you rosebuds while you may, old time is still a-flying, and this flower that smiles today, tomorrow will be dying. He tells them the point of that poem is carpe diem, seize the day. And then he has them come close to the cabinet to look into the faces of those classes of yesteryear, classes of young boys just like them except different haircuts and different fashions. He has them get close to those faces and say, Boys, those boys who became men are long gone. But you can hear them speaking to you. And he has them get right up close to the cabinet, and then he whispers behind them, Carpe diem. It's great. I love that scene because it's an All Saints Day scene. It's the truth that the dead speak. That the conversation that we're having among the living is not limited to us, but the dead are addressing us. They're speaking to us. They have a word for how you and I should live our lives. Now, thankfully, they don't just say carpe diem, because it's a great phrase in your teens and 20s. You need to seize a life. You need to grab hold of life by the scruff of the neck and take advantage of your one wild life. But it won't do for the whole of our lives, right? In your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and on, you can't seize every day. Because some days, you know, the trash has to be taken out. <laughs> and diapers have to be changed. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> diapers have to be changed. Taxes have to be done. So we need other voices of the dead to speak to us about other important truths. Thankfully, the dead speak not only in movies, but they speak in real life. They speak to us today. Every name 
around this room are people who've been buried from Holy Trinity, and they are still speaking to us. They are the thick cloud of witnesses that the letter of the Hebrews describes. And though we don't often hear what they're saying, they never stop their witnessing. And today is supposed to be a moment of spiritual hearing, where we hear what it is that they do say to us. This morning I can hear Ruth Williamson speak to me about the importance of principles and the power of conversation. I can still remember talking with her, and she said something profound and weighty, and then she looks at me and says, does that communicate? What a great phrase. Mike Kosolopoff still speaks to us about the importance of duty, the importance of community, the importance of service. Will Hudson speaks to us about having a short time on life, not constraining what you can achieve and what strength can look like. Nana Derenazzi speaks to us about how death and the end can be powerful and peaceful and prayerful. Marianne Hitchcock talks to us about the art of friendship. All of these voices are voices that we need to be reminded about what is important in life. What is meaningful in life? How can we not miss the forest for the trees? And what unites these varied voices of Christian witness here in our midst is that everyone I just named was a faithful Christian whose life had been organized around the truth. And I need their voices. I need their voices because as the great hymn says, I want to be one too. I want to be one too. The dead speak. They tell us how to live now. And they help us to understand what faith is all about. You see, today is a really concrete day of Christianity. Christianity can be kind of superficial or or airy or kind of big ideas sometimes, but it's very concrete today, right? It's very concrete today because we're talking about these folks and you and I being raised to newness of life, as St. Paul says. St. Paul says when we string together the letters G-O-D, what we're saying is the power that brings the dead to life, that creates things that do not exist. That's what we're talking about. And we're not talking about other people or big ideas. We're talking about these people. We're talking about you. We're talking about me. This is a day of very concrete, real, embodied Christianity. Earlier this week, my mom sent me a text message and told me that a man named Prentice White, who was the verger at Church of the Nativity when I grew up, passed away. Prentice was the verger at Holy Trinity, I mean at Holy Trinity, at Church of the Nativity for decades growing up, through my whole youth. Now we don't have a verger, so I wanna, want you to understand what I'm talking about. You may have noticed in our services uh, that you know, our acolyte masters, usually Will Meadows and John Friedenreich and Laura um, stands in to do this, they kind of make sure the service happens. Right? So they're there in the back and they're putting people in the right places. Our ushers are doing the same thing. And they're over there giving signals to the acolytes, you know, about things that need to be, that need to be done. And when the elements don't, don't come up or the altar rail doesn't get, you know, moved aside, they rush up and do it. Well, some churches formalize those roles and they call it a verger and they give them special vestments because we're Episcopalian. They're gray and they're purple. They even give them a stick that they carry into worship, which is weird. (laughs) 
Now, I want, I want to be clear. I'm a low churchman, so I'm not arguing for this whatsoever. All right, vergers, processing vergers and low churchmen are like beta fish, okay? We're, we're really far apart. And yet, I have the greatest fondness for the verger of my youth. You see, um, Prentice had been doing that for a number of years, but then in the 90s, Church of the Nativity wanted to get a little more high church, a little more fancy, so somebody told Prentice that now he's vesting and carrying a stick. So he did. He wasn't wild about it. But he did it every Sunday. And we were really drawn to Prentice as teenagers. We were drawn to him because we could detect a sense of irony in his, in his, his carrying of this stick. You know, we're teenagers, so we were connoisseurs of irony. Also, he was so different than our parents. He was a confirmed bachelor. He was urbane. He was funny. And he smoked cigarettes between the service and the breezeway. We thought he was very cool. <laughs> In fact, a moment that I will never forget, there was, a, there was a kid who I went to school with who was an acolyte. He was like three years older than me, a really cool kid. You know the kid that seems 10 years older than you are, right? Who you know all about, who knows nothing about you? Well, one of those kids, his name was Jamie, very, very cool kid. I have this incredible image of Jamie is, is in his, um, his, his crucifer outfit, is in his crucifer alb, and he's out in the breezeway, and it's very clear that he has bummed a cigarette off Prentice and is smoking a cigarette before the service with Prentice in his crucifer alb. <laughs> it was awesome. But this week, when I thought about resurrection into newness of life, and I thought about, as the spiritual says, at the great getting up morning, where the dead in Christ shall rise, and we process through the open gates, the pearly gates, into the new Jerusalem, as the hymn just described, it'll be a procession, not unlike the procession that we just had here, right? When we process down the center aisle, it's not just an effort to be fancy, it's practice for heaven. And I imagine it not with kind of angels or Baroque paintings, I imagine that procession to heaven being led by an ironic southern urbane smoker named Prentice. This is a day where the dead remind us that this is real, all the things that we speak of. Beloved, the dead talk about the resurrection. They talk about what's important, and they speak to us of faith. Last Sunday, we gathered in the cemetery for our All Hallows' Eve liturgy. We had 150 people out there in the cemetery. It's the most we've had in worship for a while. Who knew? All you got to do to get people back to church is just worship in a graveyard. It's going it's to be my book for church revitalization in the next 10 years. It was so powerful because I got to read from Ezekiel 37, the Valley of the Dry Bones. It's a cherished passage to me, but it's even more cherished now because I got to look down in the hillside. And as I looked down in that hillside, I thought about all the burials I've officiated at Town Creek. And I thought about the 150 people there gathered. They have parents and grandparents and children and siblings buried in that place. There were people there who have plots yet to be dug where they will rest. And I thought about how the valley of the dry bones is real. We read in that passage, God says to the prophet, Son of man, can these bones live? And the God of the gospel says that, yes, these graves will be opened and these bones will live. I could feel that happening, beloved. I could feel a response of faith from the people there gathered, and not only from the 150 people living above ground, but from all the people below as well. The dead speak to us of faith.
as we come alive in Christ. Beloved, the dead remind us that this is all true. They are witnesses that life can be lived to the fullest in this life and that be resurrection to new life in the age to come. And then add to that, we get to add two new members of the body of Christ here in front of us. Right When Paul says that Christ brings to death those that live and creates things that did not exist, two new children in the world who are now part of the body of Christ. This creating God in the beginning is creating now and will create again. It's all true, beloved, and it's not just me. It's the dead who speak, who bear witness. Thanks be to God.